Hello and welcome to the Inherited Wellness Podcast, a conversation of medicine, family history, and finding health and wellness by going back to our roots. I'm your host, Michael Smith, a naturopathic medical student, scientist, and family historian. Thank you for joining me today. With Father's Day just around the corner, I wanted to focus this episode on fathers and their health. And while this is focused on fathers primarily, it really does apply to all men. And I also believe it applies to those who love and support the men in their lives, wives, daughters, sisters, and so forth. And on the outset, I do want to recognize that For many, traditional roles of fathers may not be the reality. However, that's the context that inspired this podcast episode, and I wanted to share it with the hopes that it can be a benefit to all men, whoever may be listening. Now, I first wanted to pose a question, and particularly to men who may be listening to this. Are you in the majority? I'll share some stats in a minute, but ponder that. Turns out for different parts of my life, I felt like I was in that majority. The majority of men who struggle to take care of their health. My wife and I have been married for almost eight years now, and our oldest daughter is seven years old. And for that length of time, I have been working in many different capacities to provide for my family. For several years, that looked like working at a biotechnology startup in the digital pathology sector. That has included being in graduate school and a master's program and now a naturopathic medical doctoral program. And the hope is, is that I can gain more education so that I can provide in the future. And of course, on top of all of that, there's been the home repair, Mr. Fix-It, the auto mechanic the accountant of the family, and so on and so forth. But in all that providing that I've done, I admit that I haven't, until more recently, done a great job at providing for myself. Now, there's been times when I have done better than not, but there are many periods when I haven't gone to the doctor as much as I should have, and when I've struggled with the self-care habits of exercising and taking breaks and slowing down. As I have gone through not only my life, but my experience in healthcare, I've learned that my experience is not uncommon. I've made the observation that men go to the doctor less than women do. This is very general speaking. One anecdote is that I am currently a student intern at my medical school's primary care clinic. And in looking back at the 10 weeks of this term so far, two-thirds of the patients that I have seen have been female, and only one-third have been male. Now, I hope that would be more balanced, but it's not. Back to my question, are you in the majority? This trend of women seeking health care more than men seems to be true across health care. There's a few studies that I want to share, and I will reference links to these in the show notes. A study from 2000 states, women used medical services and have higher outpatient expenditures than men, even when controlling for health status and other variables. 
A 2018 study says that men increase their healthcare utilization to that of women only after they receive diagnosis of cancer. And granted, that was looking at cancer, but it took a diagnosis for them to start using healthcare more. In 2013, the Kaiser Family Foundation conducted two surveys, the men's and women's health surveys, to examine healthcare utilization. They reported that one in six men report fair or poor health. Older and poorer men report higher rates of health problems. They reported that 91% of women have seen a provider in the past two years. For men, that number goes down to 75%. 75% compared to 91%. One study that I have particularly enjoyed reading through and learning about is one that was done by the Cleveland Clinic in Ohio. In 2019, they did a survey called the Mention It, M-E-N-Shin It survey, looking at men's health. They repeated Part of the survey in 2021, findings from both. One quarter of men of color and 20% of white men said they visit their physician less than once a year or never. So we're talking one in four or one in five men go to the doctor less than once a year or never. I thought this was rather intriguing 77% of men who are married or in a domestic partnership would rather go shopping with their wife or significant other than to go to the doctor. We'd rather go shopping than go to the doctor. Now, I acknowledge that there are a lot of reasons why this might be. For example, women's health is in many ways more complex than men's health. There are some very simple examples of why this might be. If a woman wants to have a baby, she needs to go see a doctor. The processes of pregnancy and labor and so forth require medical assistance in most cases. And then there are the challenges of menses, menopause, and so forth. Also, women's health has it built within it a routine frequency of tests that encourage women to return to the doctor often. One example of this is the pap smear that is done or recommended every three years. So there's a lot of challenges to why men go to the doctor less than women do. It's very multifaceted. There are individuals in the public health and healthcare policy sectors who dedicate their careers to addressing the social determinants of health. And I dare say that many of those social determinants of health are at play here in influencing or causing men to not go to the doctor or seek health care as much as they should. Again, there's no one-size-fits-all solution to this. But I believe it helps to know what the problems are so that we can better address them down the road. And in researching for this and in talking to others, pondering on it extensively for the past several weeks, I've identified five different challenges that men have when going to the doctor to take care of themselves on a daily basis. 
There are likely others, but I'm going to focus only on five. The first of these is Superman syndrome. Now, I didn't make that up, although I really feel like it fits very well. A few years ago, an individual named Kathy Paw was writing about this Superman syndrome and referenced a book written by Robert Cam on the subject. I'm quoting her article, quote, Cam says that the Superman syndrome is characterized by an inability or unwillingness to throw the off switch, whether on a cell phone, the computer, at work, or in our own brains. She continued, we are the most distracted generation in the history of the human race, and distracted people make for distracted and unavailable parents. Perhaps one of the biggest threats our growing generation faces in the 21st century. Men think that they're invincible. There's this idea of masculinity that we need to be tough. We need to keep going. We need to push through pain and so forth. There's this expectation, I think, especially seen in employment, that we need to always be productive. That we need to work long days, long weeks with little breaks. There's quarterly deadlines we got to meet. And if we don't, then the world's going to fall apart. And I don't want to dismiss that in reality, those are very important. But to what cost? The Cleveland Clinic mentioned it survey found that two-fifths, or about 41% of men, were told as children that men don't complain about health issues. There's this generational expectation of sorts that men suck it up and deal with it. There's a stereotype that when on a road trip, men don't ask for directions. They keep driving and they figure it out. And when it comes to health, it's difficult because directions are often needed. And if you drive too long in the wrong direction, you're going to be ending up in a world of hurt. The Cleveland Clinic also found that about three-fifths of men prefer to try to self-diagnose before going to the doctor. There's this Mr. Fix-It mentality, and including myself in that, we like to think that we can solve problems of everyone around us, and that we should be able to solve the problems of our own health. But that's not always possible. The second big reason why men do not seek health care enough is that they do not want to deal with a diagnosis. The Cleveland Clinic survey was really interesting because they showed that there are many men that withhold information from their doctor. They're not completely honest. And two-fifths of men who admit they haven't been completely honest with their doctor did so because they knew something was wrong, but they weren't ready to face the diagnosis. And or they would rather not know if they have any health issues. They thought that the problem would resolve itself. Diagnoses are hard. In medical school, we're taught about how to share difficult diagnoses with patients. One example of that would be cancer. It's hard. I've been on the patient side of it. I know firsthand how hard a difficult diagnosis can be. June is Scoliosis Awareness Month. And in my Inherited Wellness newsletter post this last week, I shared about how I have had scoliosis that have been worsening for about the past 20 years. 
You can go back and read that post online if you wish at inheritedwellness.substack.com. It was at the end of last year, at the end of 2021, I just felt like my back was not getting any better. In fact, it was getting a little bit worse. I started to feel a little more pain than I usually had felt. And it had been several years since I had gotten an x-ray of it. So I went to the doctor for the first time, I think in about 10 months, to talk about my back. This was at my school's clinic, where I'm also a patient. I got a referral for an x-ray, and I went and got the x-ray. A few weeks later, I went back to see the doctor about the results. In doing so, I interfaced first with a student intern, much like myself. Pretty early on in that appointment, that student intern gave me the radiology report and then just left the room to talk with the doctor. I had a few minutes at that point to read through it. And having an idea of what was going on, I, there was not a lot that I was surprised about, in fact, in seeing that it had gotten worse. However, there were some really big things that threw me for an emotional roller coaster that my curve of my back was at 48 degrees, which is fairly significant, and it, it had doubled in the past 14 years or so. It showed that I had diminished bone density, and I was later diagnosed with osteoporosis and osteopenia, something that's very unusual for someone like me of my age. There are multiple compression fractures. There's de degenerative disc disease. And it was hard to read that. It took me a long time to process it. In subsequent visits with my primary care provider, I, I remember one time when I almost just felt like crying. It was hard. It was overwhelming. And I didn't know what the future held for me. I didn't know if I would need surgery on my back. I didn't know what to do about it. Time has since passed. I've gotten more referrals, and I'm still putting all of the pieces together, but things are looking up for me. I've started scoliosis-specific physical therapy and other treatments, and I'm feeling very, at this point, many months and weeks after that initial visit, hopeful and very optimistic. But there was that time of mourning for me. Whether your diagnosis is related to something musculoskeletal like mine was, or whether it's heart disease or diabetes or cancer, it can be hard. Francis Bacon is attributed to saying knowledge is power. And I know it might sound cliche here, but I believe that the more we know, the more we are able to change and do and move forward. The things that we need to do to, to remedy it or change the situation may not be easy. It may be uncomfortable. For me, physical therapy takes effort. It takes time. In some ways, it, it, it induces pain, and a good kind of pain, and it's not easy. But there is opportunity for change, so long as we're able and willing to face the diagnosis. The third reason that I believe men don't seek health care as much is embodied by Isaac Newton's first law of motion. It states, an object in motion stays in motion, and an object at rest stays at rest unless acted upon by an external force. 
I dare say that one of the reasons why men don't seek medical care or maybe share enough details when they do is because they don't want to change. And I realize I'm being very generalizing in this, in all of this, because there's a very broad range of situations, of circumstances, of reasons. And I'm trying to give a very umbrella overview of it all. The Cleveland Clinic found that one third of men who haven't been honest with their doctor held back because they did not want to hear that they needed to change their diet or lifestyle, like exercising more, changing their diet, quitting smoking, etc. Healthcare is, is all about change. We're all trying to change, to be better, to be healthier, to be more well, to live a better life. And it is that change and that hope that has brought me into this profession that motivates me every day. In naturopathic medicine, there's an emphasis on fixing the root causes of health, going to the deep roots, the foundations, identifying what's wrong, fixing those, and moving forward from there. If you're interested in hearing more about this, you can see the first podcast episode on this topic. There's a lot of responsibility on the patient. The patient needs to act by changing their own lives and not just being acted upon. For example, by taking a pill and expecting things to magically resolve. I felt this before. I've been one that enjoys working on my computer, doing my work, getting it done. But for many years, I knew I needed to move more. So I started walking 10 to 20 minutes outside. I like to think that all I need is, a sh is my shoes, maybe a jacket, depending on the weather, and the streets and sidewalks are free. It wasn't a lot, but it got me going. And I'm working beyond that now to increase my physical activity. But it had to start with something small. The fourth challenge is very much logistical in nature. As I was preparing for this episode, I was talking to a friend who is working full-time. He has a family, young children. He commented about how it is so very hard to go to the doctor when the doctors have certain hours. And those hours happen to be the same hours as when he's working as well. So when does he go to the doctor? When does he take time off? Does he use his lunch breaks? What if the appointment goes long? The questions keep going. The Kaiser Family Foundation found that many men, or 17%, couldn't take time off work. 17% is big. Not as big as the other numbers we've been talking about today, but it's significant. And that number is especially true for men with lower incomes. Some large employers may have on-site clinics provided for employees but not everyone works for a large employer at a large campus of multiple buildings that they can easily slip in and out of between meetings or, or at lunch. This doesn't apply to everybody. There's logistical challenges to seeking health care. The last of the challenges that I've identified is a relationship with a provider. The Kaiser survey identified that men identify a clinician they usually go to for care much less than women do. 
I had a pediatrician growing up, but throughout college and then in moving around for graduate school and many different reasons, I really didn't have one doctor that I went to with any frequency because I moved around. I went different cities. I'm not going to travel back to where I used to live or to 2,000 miles away to go see a doctor who knows me. I found someone close. I often found someone who took my insurance, but I didn't see them as often as I needed to. There wasn't a relationship there. And perhaps that is one of the reasons why men don't go to the doctor is because there's not a relationship with the doctor. For me, as a medical student, thinking about taking care of patients, I feel like it's very important to nurture that relationship from the provider side, but it also requires effort from the patient side as well. Related to this is what happens during the medical visit. I dare say that men have a hard time talking about personal things. Women seem to dive into personal topics much more frequently and much more easily with their friends and family members. The Cleveland Clinic identified that one of the reasons why this might be is that they're feeling judged by their doctor. One quarter of men felt that way. It's also hard for men to talk about things that are quote-unquote below the belt. Talking about sexual health and other related conditions. I think it shows that the bottom line is is that men need to have a better relationship with their doctor. There needs to be more trust, more openness, more candor, more willingness to talk about hard things. As a father and a husband, I'm very much attuned to the idea of providing for my family. And I've seen my dad do that, providing for my family growing up. And I see so many other fathers working really hard to provide for their families. I pose the question, how can we provide for others if we're not first providing for ourselves? And I want to be sensitive as I approach that question because it can be hard. There's time. There's money involved. Needing to work. Needing to provide. Perhaps there's two analogies that might help explain how I'm thinking about this. The first is one that we've often encountered when we go on the airplane The flight attendant says to put on your own mask before assisting others. We really can't be helping others if we don't have oxygen ourselves. I was talking to somebody about this, and they shared the analogy of a wadi versus a reservoir. Now, if you haven't heard of a a wadi, it is a valley or gully or stream bed in northern Africa and southwest Asia that remains dry except during the rainy season. And during the rainy season, it fills up with water. But then after the rainy season ends, it shares the water and ends up being dry afterward. Wadis drain themselves after they fill up. And in doing so, they nourish the area around them. On the other side is a reservoir. Whether it's a man-made or natural reservoir, a reservoir shares excess only after they are filled up themselves. Anything that comes downstream of a reservoir is from the excess. I hope that we might be more like reservoirs instead of wadis. 
to fill ourselves up and then share with others, share with our families, provide for our families from that full state rather than from a drought state. So what can we do? As with everything, it might sound cliche, but go talk to your doctor. This podcast is not intended as a source of medical advice, and I hope you don't take it as such. When you're watching TV, you see the ads from different medications that are being advertised, and there's always that caveat, talk to your doctor if such and such a drug is right for you. Same thing is true here. The Cleveland Clinic found that 8 in 10 men try to stay healthy to live longer for family and friends who rely on them. But yet, despite their desire to stay healthy for their loved ones, only 50% engage in preventative care by getting an annual physical exam. We can change that. If you're feeling so inspired, pause this podcast right now, unless you're driving, of course. Call your doctor and schedule an appointment. If you don't know who your doctor is, perhaps your wife or significant other or some loved one can help you. I believe that one thing that we can do is that no matter where we're at, believe that change is possible. There's a saying that we can't teach an old dog new tricks. I'm going to point out the word humans. We're not dogs. We can change. When needed, use baby steps. I think of the Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? When a psychotherapist has a patient played by Bill Murray who has obsessive compulsive disorder and then ultimately finds the psychotherapist during his family vacation. And one one of the things that stood out to me from that movie is that the therapist wrote a book called Baby Steps. And I think that principle applies here. Taking little steps each day to improve our health and well-being. How do we eat an elephant one bite at a time? I've heard it said that the best thing a man can do for his health is to get married. As I talked to somebody about this, they pointed out how, while that is true, often the wife's health can take a toll from childbearing, childrearing, kids waking up in the night, and so forth. That's a conversation I want to have another day, is how to support young mothers and those who are affected by childbearing and childrearing. When I am working on scheduling an appointment for myself to see a doctor, I often check with my wife to make sure that it works for our family schedule. When I do, I feel so much more committed to go if my wife is supportive of me. When she says, sure, get definitely go, please take care of yourself. That support from my wife helps me in my health journey. When I feel like it's hard to take time to go to the doctor, she's there cheering me on. And that makes a big difference for me. One of the things we can do is look to nature. There's a season for work in summer, a season for harvest in fall, and there's a season for rest in winter. We need to have balance. The Chinese Taiji symbol, or the yin-yang symbol, as it's been called, illustrates this. We need to have both the yin and the yang, the work and the rest, in proper balance. 
too much of one or the other is not going to be healthy. Too much rest is not good. Too much work is not good. It needs to be in balance. I've long thought that the nature inside of us needs the nature outside of us. I have found a lot of benefits from spending time outside. You might have as well. One of the unexpected blessings of the COVID-19 pandemic is that it increased utilizations of telehealth services. The Cleveland Clinic found in 2021 that 66% of all men have used digital health services in the past 12 months. 29% of all men said they would prefer to have an online visit with a doctor or healthcare professional rather than an in-person visit. And this is particularly true when talking about sexual health with a doctor. Virtual appointments are a great blessing, and perhaps they might be something that could help you seek more health care. This is not the end of this conversation. There are many who have thought about it long before I did, and I hope it yet continues. If this resonates with you, I invite you to reach out, send me a message on social media, reach out through my website. Let's continue this conversation on how we can support each other, men and women alike, mothers, fathers, daughters, sons, grandparents, supporting each other in our own individual health journeys. This Father's Day, I pay tribute and honor to all of the fathers and grandfathers, uncles and men in so many capacities who change the world for the better. They embody the sentiment of Mahatma Gandhi who said, be the change you wish to see in the world. They are that change. I am grateful for my own father for all that he has done and shown me for his example, for his hard work. And his example of being a father motivates me to be the best father that I can be for my children. I found this quote that I want to close with. Being a great father is like shaving. No matter how good you have shaved today, you have to do it again tomorrow. By Reed Markham. Fatherhood takes time. It takes effort. It takes a willingness to change, to start over again, to wake up and go to work, to be better today than we were yesterday, and where we fell short today to improve tomorrow. And as we do, we can change the world for the better. Thank you for joining me today on the Inherited Wellness Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend. I look forward to you joining me next time. And until then, be well.